Well, we continue this morning our message series entitled First. A number of years ago, there was a lady by the name of Miss Henderson. Miss Henderson needed some work done on her washing machine, but she wasn't going to be at home on that particular day. And so she determined that uh, she would have a man come by and uh, fix the machine even though she couldn't be there. So she contacted the gentleman and told him um, she wanted him to fix her washing machine, and so she needed some instructions, though, to give him. She said, now listen, I'm going to put the key under the mat. I won't be there, but you simply get the key, go on in, make the repairs, leave your bill, and I'll pay you later. But there's a couple of things that you need to understand. One, you will come into a house where there is an extremely spooky Doberman Pinscher. I mean, he is really, really dangerous looking, but you don't have to worry about him. Don't worry about him. He, he will look up at you, and he will just go about his business. He will never bother you. You don't have to worry anything about him. He would never do anything unless it came by way of command from me, so you have nothing to worry about. However, you need to listen very carefully what I'm fixing to tell you next. I also have a parrot, and that parrot is a different story. Whatever you do, say nothing to this parrot. Do you understand me? Say nothing to this parrot no matter what the parrot says to you. And so on the phone he says, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Did you hear what I said? Don't speak to the parrot. We thought this was odd, but he decided to do it. And so he comes, he comes in, and sure enough, true to form, the Doberman was sitting there as spooky as you can imagine. But as he was told, he walked in, he began to make his repairs, but almost immediately this parrot started in on him, began to make comments about his appearance, said he was fat, he was goofy, he was no good. The parrot just talked unceasingly just kept just running him down and then began to curse him cursed him in a way that it would make a sailor blush I mean this parrot was giving it to him and a couple of times he started to say something to the parrot and then he remembered okay I shouldn't say anything I told her I would not so he didn't so he finished his repairs he picked up his stuff and he's making his way to the door with the parrot speaking non-stop he walks right next to the Doberman, and he decides he can take it no more. He turns around, he has his tools in hand, and he says to the parrot, You have to be the dumbest, the ugliest, the most rude, the most pathetic excuse for a bird I have ever seen. And if I had the time, I would reach in there and I would choke you out. Lucky for you, I don't have the time to do that. The parrot who had been speaking nonstop stopped, smiled, tilted his head, and said, Oh, really? And then, aping the voice of his master, he turns to the Doberman and says, Oh, Spike, sick him! Sometimes you need to make sure of what your priorities are. 
Make sure that you get the right priority because those priorities, if you don't get it right and you don't stick to it, may come back, <laughs> wait for it, to bite you, okay? <laughs> this morning we are talking about the issue of priorities. To put God first in our life, our priorities have to be straight. On one occasion, Jesus told a parable about this very thing, about a man who was eaten up, or two brothers that were eaten up with greed, and Jesus told a parable about a man who had excessive greed, and that he continued to build, and he, his barns were, he needed new barns because all of his crops were coming in, it was overflowing, and he said, I'm going to build more barns and more barns and more barns, and then I'm just going to take it easy, I'm going to eat and drink and be merry and just live life as I wish to do it. And Jesus said, you fool, this very day your life's going to end. And then who's going to take care of your barns? Priorities, God has to take the first priority. An old preacher from yesteryear once said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what you do for Christ will last. So true. Four things I want to share with you today in answer to the question that you see before you on your outline. That's all you need. If you wish to turn in your Bible, you may, but all the verses that you need are right there on your outline. The question is, what are four major priorities if you and I are going to live successfully? There are other priorities in life but there are four today that the Apostle Paul shared directly and indirectly with some Christians in Thessalonica, which would be a part of Greece today. The Apostle Paul was in Corinth, and he was writing to them, and the Spirit of God speaks to you and I today from the Word of God. What are, what are the four basic priorities that the Spirit of God shares with us today that we need to put first in our life? Here's the first one. The first one is that you and I need to be scriptural. We need to live life scripturally. We need to be people who are scriptural. What does that mean? Does that mean that I simply have to know a lot about the Bible? Well, that would be a good thing, but it's not just what you know about the Bible. It's how much God is able to get into you and live out His life through you, but to live life the way Jesus lived life. The Scripture themselves are the very Word of God. Every paragraph, every pericope, every part of the Bible speaks to the person of Jesus. His attitude, His actions, His lifestyle, all of it, all the way from the pages of the New Testament to the laborious teaching of the temple and the tabernacle, all of it point to Him. You and I are to be scriptural in everything we do. Priority one. Paul, writing in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 1 says, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. Those results are found in Acts 17. The Apostle Paul showed up, and many individuals had come to Christ as a result of his time there. He said in verse 2, We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously. We had been mistreated, insulted, abused, humiliated is the idea in Philippi, as you know. 
That is recorded in Acts 16. It was the event when he was publicly beaten, he was put in prison, and it was there that he had the relationship with what we know as the Philippian jailer. He records and recounts that event just before he had come to them previously. And he said, But with the help of our Lord, our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. The first thing you might want to write out to the side in your notes is that you and I need to be scriptural in our manner. That is, in our attitude and our behavior. We're going to talk a little bit about giving away of your faith, but that's not all that this means by being scriptural. But we need to be scriptural in our manner in that we need to be people who are people of conviction, who are courageous, and we're willing to be evangelistic, to be able to share who Christ is in our life with other people. We need to be scriptural in our manner, and that is more than just getting in someone's face and sharing a gospel tract with them. It is living the Christian life in front of them, demonstrating it in your attitude and your actions, waiting for the opportunity to be able to share with them with boldness the truth of the gospel. We are to be people who are scriptural in our manner beyond that, in our attitudes, in our actions, with whomever we deal with, in your friendship, in your family, with other church members, with the people that you deal with on the job, with your spouse, in your parenting, how you deal with your finances, how you use your time. We are to be scriptural in our manner in all of those. In addition, as we do that, we lay the foundation for being able to speak into the life of someone who needs the life of Jesus Christ. Scriptural in our manner. Secondly, notice he says, for the appeal we make does not spring from error. You need to be scriptural also in your message. Scriptural in the message that you share with people through your life, your actions and everything, that they see in you that Christ is everything. They see in you that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. They see in your message that you share with it without error and without hesitation and with full conviction that you believe that Jesus Christ is your all in all. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And they see that in your manner and they hear that in your message. And you and I must be able to clearly be able to communicate that message to other people. That God is real. That He is real and you need to be able to some degree to be able to demonstrate that reality from nature and from Scripture. That God is real, that man is a sinner from the core born running away from God, wanting nothing to do with God, but there is a need to recognize that there's only one way to heaven and is that you and I have to become perfect in the eyes of God. You have to be righteous in the eyes of God. You and I cannot do that in and of our own power. We never will. That is why we need Christ. That is why they need Christ. That Muhammad, Buddha, Confucius, Gautama, whoever, none of them will give that to them that they need Christ and Christ alone because only through Him, through His death and resurrection and placing faith, 
belief, trust, committing of life to Him. By that way, when God looks at you and I, He sees you and I perfect, not deserving of penalty in hell forever. He sees us in Christ. He sees us in Christ to live the life of Christ by the power of Christ and someday that we'll be removed from the power and the presence of sin forever. In the meantime, you and I are to be scriptural in our message with everyone we come in contact with. Let me also say very quickly, that doesn't mean you browbeat people with the gospel every day. They need to see it in your life. Very often you will find that the more you do that, people will inquire of you as to what it is that's going on with you. Why do you have that particular manner? Why does that, what, what kind of message are you trying to say? And then you have the opportunity to tell them, man, I love God. I admit my need of Him. I believe in Him. I confess Him before you, and you need Him too. Be scriptural in your manner and your message. Notice he says that this message was not from error or impure motives. Have the right motivation as you live your life. The motivation in every way, not to use people or to abuse people, not to convince them that you're really helping them or convincing them that you're helping them when in reality you're using them. Let your motives always be pure, not only in sharing the gospel, but how you live your life, how you do your business, how you conduct all relationships. You and I must be scriptural in our manner, our message, but also in our motivation. Your motivation and mine should be the same as the mission of this church. You and I are to be about the business of touching God. That's my motivation. Everything I do, I want to touch the intangible God. Everything I do and every obedience and every action outside of this place and when I come to this place, it is my motivation is to worship Him and to see other people worship Him. Our motivation should be not only to touch God, but to transform your life and the people around you. That's what the local church is to be about. That's why we get into the Word of God. That's why we have relationships. That's why we determine what it is God has gifted us to do and then do it. That's how our life transforms. Friends, listen to me. You will never worship God. You will never do it adequately until your life is transforming as you take in this truth into your life, changing how you do life and how you do it together with other people. Until we discover in this life, what is it that is the heartbeat of your life? The heartbeat of your life is to be the gifts, the abilities, the shape that God has given you to pour into the life of people who know Christ and into the lives of those who don't. That is how we transform. But as you touch God in worship, as you transform in discipleship, in fellowship, and in service, you will then have the desire to take risk for Him. This should be your motivation. You will take the risk to want to speak into the life of someone else. You'll take the risk to go on a short-term mission trip so that you can speak into the lives of people who do not know Christ. That is our motivation. That is why we have the manner and the message that we have so that you and I can touch God, transform our lives and others' lives and take risk for Him and encourage other people to do the same. 
principle one is be scriptural in your message, in your manner, in your motivation, but also notice in your methods that it was not from impure motives or nor are we trying to trick you. That is, our method is not to use you. It's not to abuse you. It is to help you. That is what God has called in our methodology, the way we do things, we are to be honest in why we do what we do. You know, it's so easy at times people will convince other people that they're trying to do them some good service when in reality they're trying to get something. You and I must be scriptural through and through. In our manner, we must be scriptural in our message. We must be scriptural in our motivation and in every methodology that you and I use with every person that we come in contact with because you and I are the Christ with skin on that they encounter and you and I are the ones that God can use to speak into those lives. Listen, it's not just the people out there on the other side of the planet. It's not just the people even just in this community. You have to do it in your home, behind closed doors, with your kids seeing it day by day. Priority one in you, if your life is to be lived scripturally, there your kids will most likely have a desire to do that. We must be scriptural. Notice, he says in verse 4, On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. Folks, I don't know about you, but the longer I live, I don't care what anyone thinks about me at all. I'm worried about what God thinks about me. That's the most important thing. And what He thinks about me is all that ultimately matters. And as long as you and I are scriptural in everything that we do, it doesn't mean you'll be popular. In fact, you'll probably be left behind. People won't want to have a lot to do with you. You will not be the top of the party. You will not be at the top of the leering. The thing is, the more you live for Christ, the more scriptural you become. There will be those who will live in opposition to you because you make them uncomfortable with your life. And you should. Biblically. Not to make them miserable, to mere misery's sake, but that they see something that is different in you. And even though they may reject you, they so desperately want what you have. That's what God wants to do in your life. That's what He wants to do in mine. Our number one motivation is to be scriptural. Number two, God also wants you and I to be substantial. It goes with being scriptural. He wants you to be a person of substance. He doesn't want you to be shallow or weak or superficial, going through the motions, saying one thing, living a different way. Be a person of substance and value. There's so much fake in this world today. You know, it's amazing that you can buy today vinyl flooring that looks like ceramic tile. <laughs> there you go. Look at that ceramic tile. Uh, it's just vinyl. You can buy 
fake furs or fake jewelry. I was reading about one the other day. Do you know what? If you've got one of these huge SUVs and, and you are embarrassed because you don't go on adventure trips, did you know that you can buy spray-on mud to put on your truck? What goofball does that? Man, get spray-on mud to make you look tough in that SUV. You don't want people to know that you just take your kid to soccer games all the time in that SUV. So you buy spray-on mud and put on there, as I'm an adventurer, right? Hey, man, just be real. Be substantial. Look what Paul says. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask. There was no pretense. We didn't act like we were somebody we weren't. We were just up front and personal. We did it. We, we didn't put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. Be a person of substance. Be substantial. The more scriptural you'll become, the more valuable to God you will become. I don't know about you, but in my life, the people who have been people of substance, a number of these characterize their life. They freely admitted failure and weakness. They didn't try to hide it. They didn't cover it up. They just told it. And they would apologize for it. They didn't try to hide it. They freely admitted when they failed and when they were weak. They confessed when they were wrong. They had no problem doing that. They spoke the truth, even when it hurt. And also I found that they generally enjoy life more than most people because they have nothing to hide. They enjoy life. They don't take themselves too seriously. Man, laugh and let, laugh, let people laugh at you and with you. They didn't take themselves too seriously. They also know how to laugh. They know how to have a great belly laugh. They need to laugh at life. And they know how to cry. And they don't hide either one. Furthermore, a person of substance are free thinkers. You think for yourself. You don't let the society dictate how you think. As Paul says, we do not let the world in Romans 12 squeeze us, conform us into this mold. You set the pattern. You become the thermostat in the room, not the thermometer. You set the thermostat by being substantial. You are a warrior for Christ. You set the tone. Don't let other people do it. You do it. I do it. Be a free thinker in the sense that you are free to think biblically when all the world thinks unbiblically. Be a person of substance. They are also people that have nothing to prove, just like the Apostle Paul. They have nothing to prove because they have nothing to hide. That is a person of substance. Be that in front of the curtain and behind the scenes. I was reading about a kid here just a few years back. He went to church camp. He didn't want to go to church camp. He didn't like Christians. He thought they were mostly goofy. He didn't want anything to do with them because he watched them. He says these kids were always inviting him to camp and then they lived like the world. Why did he want to go to camp with people like that? And so this kid decided though ultimately to go to camp and he heard a speaker at camp, Bob Mitchell. 
who went by Mitch. <laughs> and Bob Mitchell or Mitch would speak at that camp, and this kid would just kind of couldn't wait until it was over, look down, couldn't care less. Until he was sitting one night alone, all the other Christian kids had abandoned him. And here he was in the cafeteria and he was eating. And he was kind of behind the scenes where almost everybody was gone except Mitch, who was in the back with the ladies who had been cooking and were cleaning up. And he said he watched Mitch clean up and asked the ladies to sit down while he did the work. He watched him be very respectful of them and actually who had been out speaking and doing all day, here he was behind the scenes helping. He didn't tell anybody. Nobody knew. <laughs> but this kid did. And two days later, he gave his life to Christ. And he said it had nothing to do with the messages he heard. It had to do with the message that he saw. He saw Christ lived out. He saw a person who didn't just talk it, they lived it. Be that person. Be scriptural, be substantial. And third, be relational. Be relational. Our relationships are important. They really are. I am always intrigued by a guy named Tim Sanders. He was the former chief solutions officer at Yahoo. And he would tell his employees and everybody else that when it came to life and priorities, there were three categories. The first category was rubber. It was the rubber category. Those are the things that in life, when you drop those things, they just bounce. It may be you forget to pay a bill. Maybe you forget to do a certain thing. It just bounces. No big deal. I mean, you can recover. There's other things, he said, that are not in the rubber category. They're in the metal category. In the metal category, if you drop them, they make a lot of noise. There may be something at your job you were supposed to do and you didn't get done. It makes a lot of noise. You learn from it. You take some hits for it. But in the end, it's just metal. It just makes a lot of noise. But he said there's a third category that is the must category, and that category is the category of glass. That when you drop that, it shatters, and you may never put it back together no matter how hard you try. And he said those are the relationships with God, with family, and with friends. Be a person who is relational. Look what the Scripture says. Instead, we were like young children, or the word in the Greek means to be gentle among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. You want to be relational? It means you've got to be scriptural. You need to be a person of substance, substantial. But if you're going to have relationships with people, you've got to be gentle when you deal with them. Not argumentative, not belligerent, not arrogant, but a person who is sympathetic, who is respectful of other people in your home and outside of it. Because relationships are important. 
Some of you know what I'm talking about. You may have dropped it. At the time, you may not have cared. And now you do. We have to be people who are gentle and like a nursing mother who is patient with people. Who are in it for the long haul, dedicated and committed. Notice Paul says, because why? Because we love you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. To open up your life to another person is invaluable. To be able to speak to them not only about your joys, but your challenges, your sinful failures, and be able to open up your life, to be relational, again, to be real. He said that we were loving. How did he demonstrate it? Look at verse 9. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. To be a loving person is to be a giving person. To give, as Paul says, of his time. He gave of his talent. And we have to learn to give of our treasure. To be a person who is relational, you are giving. You're not a taker. You don't keep records of whether you took more than you give. That's not how relationships are built. To be relational is to be a person who is loving, who is giving, but there's something else. Notice he says also, notice he said, you remember. Notice in verse 10, he says, you are witnesses, you saw this. Paul's saying, you saw this behind the scenes. It's not just me preaching it. It's not just me saying it. It's not somebody saying it about me. You saw this. You are witnesses, and so is God, how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. Was Paul bragging on himself? Not at all. He was saying that as we lived our life in front of you, we were holy. That is, everything we wished to do was to bring glory to God. We were righteous. And we wanted God's standard to be our standard. And we wanted everybody else to know that that was the standard. And that also was a person who was blameless. That doesn't mean he was perfect. To be blameless means that when you fail, you admit it. When you're wrong, you say it. When you've hurt someone, you apologize. That's a part of being a person. What those three terms are, that's a person of character. A person of strong moral character. That's what makes relationships that last. That's when people can count on you when we are people of character. All of these things make us up, but notice verse 11. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Fathers, take note of this. Encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory to be a person who's relational dads to be great dads encourage they comfort and they urge children on to meet their potential for Christ and in every other way we are people who keep each other accountable but we also give support that's what being in a strong relationship is. Folks, I'm here to tell you that is what is missing in the church today is people are so desperate to see real people 
who are scriptural, people who are substantial of substance, and they are relational. They don't get judged. They don't get criticized. They don't get gossiped about. They are taken in and accepted as people that God wants to take from this place to someone else or somewhere else. And you and I are the people who have been appointed to do it. You are plan A, and there is no plan B. We are to be people who are relational. And one final thing. And if as you're scriptural, and as you become a person of substance, and that you're truly relational, you can become the fourth. You've got to be durable. You've got to be durable. That means you've got to be persistent. You endure. You abide. You're solid. You last. You don't give up. You don't give in. You don't blame God. You trust God. When you don't understand Him, you tell Him. When you're mad at Him, you tell Him. When you don't understand Him, you tell Him. But then at the end of the day, He's God and you and I are not. And everything He puts us through is to do one of three things. It calls you and I in life to suffer for your faith. He causes you and I to suffer at times as a part of our faith to endure, to be durable. And at times, He tests our faith to build our faith. Look what Paul says in the final verses, in verse 13 to 16, And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. That right there is one of the great statements about the inerrancy and the inspiration of the Bible. Paul says, when you received our words, you didn't take it as from men, but from God. And he says, this is the word that is at work in you, energizing you. You and I will never be durable. We will never be able to go through the difficulties and the pains of life or to be able to take in the successes of life unless we're people who are taking the word of God and applying it to life back to number one to be scriptural. But notice verse 14, where you brothers and sisters became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered for your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles, that is, to lost people, so that they might be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. That is, unless those individuals who are bringing you persecution change the direction of their life, their judgment is sure. But in this life, if you live Christianly, you will be persecuted. It may be on the job, it may be in your family, it may be in the community, it may be with friends, it may be with people who do not know you. But you and I have to be durable. We have to be able to put up and endure. I don't know about you, years ago when I was a child, I was, I think they do this differently now, I was tested for allergies. I remember going to a doctor, a Miss Dr. Schozel. I thought she was a Nazi concentration camp operator. At that time, I'm just a little child. I was just in kindergarten, and they were testing. You know, at that time, now today I think they test for allergies on the arm, but when I was a child... They put it on your back because you couldn't scratch it. 
the, the pagans. I mean, you were itching and you couldn't scratch it. And they would put this all on your back and for 15 minutes, I remember Dr. Scholes was like, don't move. <laughs> Help them move when you're itching like crazy. But what I didn't understand is that the good doctor was injecting some of those allergies so that I could build up immunity to it. And God does the same thing in your life. He brings things in your life that causes you to itch and to have pain. He injects some of those things so that you and I can learn to endure those things. God wants us to be durable. I'm going to close with this. Um, in August 17, 2008, there was a man by the name of Dave Freeman. We may not be familiar with him, but he wrote a book. It was called The Hundred Things to Do Before You Die. Uh, Mr. Freeman was the source of the movie The Bucket List. If you heard of The Bucket List, it was his book that inspired that movie. Mr. Freeman had a bucket list, and his bucket list, amongst other things, was he wished to attend the Academy Awards. He wanted to run with the bulls in Pamplona, Spain. He wanted to take a voodoo pilgrimage to Haiti. And he had a whole bunch of other things he wanted to do. But in 2008, at the age of 47, Mr. Freeman was changing a light bulb on a ladder in his home and he fell and hit his head and he died instantly. He had accomplished about 50 things on his bucket list and everybody read that bucket list. But there was one thing missing on Mr. Freeman's priority bucket list. There was nothing mentioned about establishing a relationship with the God of the universe. Of all the priorities of life, you've got to have a relationship with the King. If you haven't established that, I plead with you in Jesus' name to do that. I will talk with you when the service is over if you want to talk about it. If you want to go out for a cup of coffee, you buy. But if you want to... Just kidding. We'll sit down over a cup of coffee and talk about it. You want to come to the office? We'll talk about it. Don't leave here today if the Lord Jesus is knocking on your heart saying, make me the priority. Whatever else is the priority, remove it, Christian, and of a person here today looking to come to Christ. Would you stand as we close today? And I'm going to ask somebody else to close in prayer today. Jet, come over here. I like this kid, particularly his glasses. Jet prayed for us last Sunday night. Jet, come over here where people can see you, man. I like this uniform here. I like this dude. This guy's going to close in prayer. Y'all good with that? Would you like to hear this guy pray? He prayed last Sunday night, and man, I was impressed with that. I talked to him about it, and he said, I pray on Sunday? I said, I think you can. And so here's the deal. He's going to close us in prayer, but I'm going to still be here. And if ooh, I'm getting a signal here, Jet, that you weren't going to be live, okay? We're going to close, and the Lord Jesus bless you.
And if you're here today and you want to know more about a relationship with him, come talk to me when this service is over. Jed, would you close us with us? Pray for us, please. Dear Lord, we come to you today to ask you to bless everyone in this church right now. And if anyone, for anyone who doesn't have a relationship with you, to ha- get to have that relationship. And I, um, I thank Pastor Bruce for that, for the sermon. It was, I thought it was appealing to everyone. If it wasn't, please come up here and ask. If you don't get it, please come up here and ask him why. But if you have been have if you have struggles in your life, I just ask for you to take the struggles away from them. That if the devil has a hold of anyone's life in this church right now and they've been struggling because of him, to lift his hand off of them and to protect them with your name. And all of God's people said, Amen.